Several years ago, when one of our kids was graduating university, we had the idea that it would be a perfect time for us all to go on vacation, like the whole family. So they weren't married yet, so it was just us and our kids. And um, we decided we headed to Cuba and thought that this was going to be just the perfect time together. So Annabeth had those mom you know, notions that it would be breakfast together every morning at 9 o'clock all around the table with, you know, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed children. We'd sit by the pool all day and talk a little all day long, and it would be just perfect, right? Well, the only thing we didn't consider was that since it was um, the graduation from university of one of our kids, it was the graduation of every Canadian student from university in the country, and they all went to Cuba. So this was not a family vacation. We may well have been the only family on the beach, and everyone else on the beach was a mad party animal, recent university grad. Our kids are not immune to the attraction of partying. So none of them woke up in time for breakfast with us because they had been partying the night before. And at one point through the week, Annabeth said to me, this is the worst idea we've ever had. Because we thought we heard our boys' names being shouted in the middle of the night, and it was something about come down off of the roof. <laughs> so th this didn't go down very well. So, but it, it was fine. You know, it was fine. And we were, we were in the airport on, on the way home. And uh, there was a fella came over, and he, he spoke to Annabeth. He said, are you, um, are you Dan and Colin's parents? And Annabeth said, oh, no. Right? He, she said, yeah. He said, well, you should be proud of those boys. And she said, why? <laughs> well, he said, you know, the, the party got going every night, and the guys were trying to move in on the girls. Your boys put themselves between these guys and the girls and kind of just made sure that they were taken care of, so you should be proud of those boys. So Annabeth kind of shook her head in disbelief, and we made our way home. That was a lovely thing to hear, right? You should be proud of those boys. And we've heard that now lots of times again, and, and it's all super, but every mom wants to hear that you should be proud of your boys or proud of your girls, right? So I want to talk this morning as we continue in our Knowing God series. This is a little bit of a, a side trip. Um, and we're dismissing the youth right now. <laughs> All right. On cue. Um, there was a mom uh, who is not introduced to us. Um, she's a mom in the scripture um, by inference only, because we're told the story of her son, and we're told the story of a son of whom this mom should be tremendously proud. The son that we're talking about was a young person called Daniel. And we, we don't know about Daniel's parents. We don't know about his home family. We do know that Daniel, while he was a young person, uh, was deported from home. So this was in the sort of later history of Israel when um, part of the nation had been taken captive earlier on, and now there was another kind of a captivity, but it was more of an occupation. And as world powers shifted, 
um, rather than people being taken away entirely into captivity, there was there was a plan on putting foreigners into the land and taking Israelites out of the land and to try to school and enculturate the Israelis or the Israelites so that there would be an accepted new culture. And Daniel was one of these. He was one of the choice young people in the kingdom. And so he was taken from home into a faraway country to be schooled according to the culture of the oppressing kingdom that had come against Judah in this case. So we're introduced to Daniel as he has been taken away from home, and we're given a great lot of stories about his exploits. I mean, he, he was clearly a heroic young person, and we've grown up hearing the stories about Daniel. We've heard about the, uh, the lion's den and the incredible exploits of Daniel concerning the lion's den. We've heard about Daniel being able to interpret dreams, Daniel being able to tell prophecies, and part of the Bible that is most complicated for us is the prophecy of Daniel that's all about the intricacies of end times and all of that. So, so Daniel looms large for us as a very important Bible character, but before all of that, Daniel looms large as a boy of whom his mom could be proud. And as we think about Mother's Day and we think about your roles, grandmas and mothers, um, in the lives of your children, um, your contribution to your children can be the kind of contribution that was made into the life of this young man, Daniel. I had a sad responsibility on Friday to conduct a funeral for a 60-year-old grandma who died suddenly a couple of days ago. And I can't help but think of today and Mother's Day and her daughters and her grandchildren who would have fully expected to be celebrating their mom's day today. But do you know what happened at the funeral was that these daughters raved about their mom, how loving she was, how she was their dear friend as well as their mom. And little grandkids, same age as my grandkids, were talking about their grandma and how she did everything they needed her to do. She was the best grandma in the world. And her husband simply echoed into it that the thing that mattered to her more than anything else was her children and her grandchildren. And I, th I thought about Annabeth, I thought about many of you for whom grandparenting is the love of your lives. And we grandfathers get to hang out and enjoy the good parts of it and then go golfing or something when it gets tedious, right? But we know that the joy of raising children and raising grandchildren is beyond any joy in the world, perhaps, right? It is, it is a high calling. It's a high undertaking. And so here's an example of, of a woman who's not known. So it's not that you're going to be known or named, but there's a boy who makes an impact in history and for God's kingdom um, because presumably he has been raised well because presumably he's been taught well, and he is schooled in the faith of his nation. And so we are given the opportunity to have a look at him today. So we're in this um, study of knowing God, and I've reminded you that from the get-go, um, we have Jim Packer's distinction between those who are balconiers and those that he calls travelers. 
And so the balconiers are the theoreticians, they're the theologians, they're the philosophers. Um, the travelers are those who are down on the road, in the way, traveling along. And all of the perspectives are important. So travelers need to have the perspective of the balconiers because they need to know the theory of the journey. But the balconiers need to have the wisdom and the experience of the travelers. So I've been encouraging you to sort of figure out who you are or where you're standing. And uh, maybe each Sunday we'll think of ourselves as kind of hung out by a balcony listening to a story or an account from the balcony. Today, we're going to listen to Daniel, who's on the balcony, to teach us some things so that we will know how to travel well on the path that has been given to us. In the middle of Daniel, um, th there's a really strong motto, um, and it's, it's in the middle of an incredibly uh, detailed and complicated um, playing out of all of the things that will yet happen in the future. But right halfway into a verse, we find this, that I think in, in God's wisdom and provision could well be a motto for the whole exploit of Daniel, the youth carried away into captivity. It says, the people who know their God shall be strong, and carry out great exploits. Isn't that a great verse? That'd be the sort of thing you'd, you'd write down in your journal or put on your wall or put on your wallpaper on your computer, right? The people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. If you were to think of something that you hope for for your boys and girls, might this be something that, that you could Im imagine or dream about, that, that your son or your daughter, your grandson, your, gro your granddaughter, would know God and carry out great exploits? See, one of, one of the things that Packer keeps poking at is, well, what's the point of this knowing God? So it's not just to know things about God. Um, it is to get into this dynamic relationship with the creator of the universe who discloses himself to us and who actually talks to us and tells us what is on his heart and in his mind and invites us in and invites us to be part of the exploits that he has dreamt up for us. So we thought about this last week, that you know, having God first at the start of our thinking, at the start of our planning, is critical because if we don't start with the fear of the Lord, we're not going to be productive in the way we live to any degree. But when we start with God, here's the promise that if we know God, I mean, if we latch on to this in real daily practical ways, that the possibilities are that we are invited to join him in great exploits. So what was it like to be Daniel? How, how did he get himself ready to be involved in these exploits? Here again, and today we're just sort of fishing into a couple of verses in, in Daniel, but at the very beginning of the account, we're told this, Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. So what happened was that he was brought into this new location and he was favored. He was going to be taught by the best teachers. He's going to be taught the best curriculum. And he was also going to be given the choice food because these young men were to thrive. They were to be kind of the examples, the stars of people who are willing to come from a different culture to learn new things, to become new things. And so every opportunity was afforded them. Part of it was that they were to eat 
the palace food. They were to eat this royal cuisine. Problem was that Daniel knew in his conscience and mind that he wasn't allowed to eat that kind of food. Wasn't kosher, to, to put it bluntly. And so here he was, and he's a youth. He's not at home anymore. He's been transplanted, and he's kind of, you know, being rocked by all of the favor that's being shown him and all of the promises that are being made to him. And they say, now, come on, um, you know, the dining room is open. Here's the time. And he looks at what they're serving him, and he goes, sorry, can't eat it. Well, what are you, a fussy adolescent? You don't like it? Have you tried it? Not that at all. He says, no, um, I am a Hebrew, and we have been given instructions. We have been given the law of the Lord about what we can eat and how we can eat it. So I will not defile myself. So, so that becomes the predictor of everything the good that happens hereafter. There, there's a line in the sand that is drawn by Daniel, and it's a very deliberate line that says, I have made commitments from which I will not waver. What I want to talk about this morning is just a simple lesson that's, that's this. Behavior choices aren't made in the moment. Um, Daniel didn't make that choice when they brought the dish of food. I mean, he did, but he didn't, right? Daniel made that choice before the situations came upon him. And if we look for some wisdom as parents and grandparents, what we long for is that our children and grandchildren will have made choices that are deliberate that will control their choices in the moment. So behavior choices aren't made in the moment. They're made in the heart. And we long to raise boys and girls who in their heart have made commitments from which they will not waver. As we think about the whole journey of, of learning, it occurred to me a few months ago that we're, we're trying to do three things as a congregation in terms of generations. For our children, we want them to learn the Bible stories. Right? That's, that was Sunday school for me. Was it for you? To learn those Bible stories. There is a dearth of Bible knowledge among Christians today where people don't even know the Bible stories. They don't know the characters, they don't know the events, and uh, if you talk to people outside of the church in academia, a whole lot is lost with biblical literacy because so much literature is based on images and stories and characters from the Bible. So how do you even understand literature without being conversant with the Bible? Well, we want our children, so right now, we are having our children learning the stories of the Bible. Because secondly, when we begin to work with our young people, we want them to understand the stories of the Bible. We want them to ask the questions. It's enough for children to be filled up in their imagination and wonder with the stories of Noah's Ark and all of the animals going in two by two and just imagining all that kind of thing, right? They, they need to know those stories because those stories become the stuff of discipleship. Those are the stories in which God has embedded eternal truth, in which he has embedded theology, and in that camp, everything about being saved, everything about being changed, everything about 
a home in heaven, all of those things are embedded in the stories. So first of all, let's just teach them the stories. And then secondly, let's have our young people ask questions about the stories. So did that really happen? Or what does it mean? Because at school they tell me it didn't really happen, and so on. With adults, you all, we want you to become part of the stories. So we are committed to a meta-narrative, they say. It's the big story. It's God's big story about his coming kingdom. And we, we get to understand and join in that story by knowing these stories of the Bible and then by asking questions about these stories in the Bible and then about joining these stories in the Bible. Daniel learned the stories of his faith. He learned the rules of his faith. Presumably at his mother's knee, he was taught and he was schooled. And those stories began to find a home in his heart. And so when he ended up in a situation, he made a decision that was second nature to him. Of course he would not take this food because it was a violation of the dietary laws. So what is it that we are hoping for in the lives of our children as, as we see them grow up in the Lord? Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. Behavior choices are made in the heart. What sorts of things do we want our kids to commit themselves to? So not a very big step, but for Daniel, he was troubled by the requirements of the dietary law. We are not concerned so much about those dietary laws, but we are concerned about one set of laws that is yet universal, which is the Decalogue. And in those Ten Commandments, there continues God's good advice to us, God's great wisdom to us. The first few of them talk about our relationship with him, and then the rest of them talk about our relationships with one another. And if we just do kind of a cursory run-through today, what is it that we long for our children, little boys, little girls, growing up boys and girls? What, what do we want them to have already decided in their hearts so that when the situation comes up, it is second nature to them to behave in a way that allows them to do great exploits as they know God? Our children are living in a day that is absolutely foreign to our culture. Do, do you understand that? I didn't grow up in such a, a culture. I grew up in a culture that was quite similar to mine. So if you didn't go to church, you felt guilty because you knew you should go to church. Um, you did believe in the Ten Commandments, and you did pray the Our Father or Lord's Prayer. And, and th there, was a, there was a commonness about our values. Um, things weren't being questioned as they're being questioned today. But our kids today are growing up in a society that has a whole different set of norms and expectations and things that have been brought in, have been taken over into even Christian worldviews and Christian life and practice. But the Decalogue stands um, as God's eternal, timeless wisdom to us that says, here's how you live with one another because you're in a covenant relationship with me. For Daniel, it was, I'm not going to break the dietary laws because I'm in a covenant relationship with God. So the decision's already made. Here are areas that we long for the decision to have already been made in the hearts and minds of our kids. First of all, the sanctity of life. 
Don't commit murder. Don't kill. We as followers of the Lord Jesus, we as people in covenant relationship with God, believe in the image of God that is reproduced in every human life from conception forward. And so we carry that conviction, we carry that belief that says, no, of course, you shouldn't go out and, you know, take a knife and stick someone with it. It's, it's definitely not that. But more than that, it's, it's being guardians of life. It's being respecters of life. I had a, a wedding yesterday that was really delightful because the bride's sister, um, who was our ma- her maid of honor, um, beside her was another sister who's um, a lovely young lady with Down syndrome. And when we were doing the signing at the, at the table, the bride said, um, my other little sister wants to sign as well. I said, okay. So I don't know what the registrar is going to do with it when he sees this, this second signature. Well, I was not going to say no to this lovely young bride who was honoring her little sister. Little sister who cried from the moment the processional started till the time the wedding was over, full of joy. But I thought, that, look at the way they're respecting this person. They're honoring her and blessing her. And that's good. So there's nobody that is excluded from this image commitment. We are committed to the sanctity of life. It gets a little bit trickier after that. We're also committed to the sanctity of sex. So we believe that what God gives us in the Old Testament scriptures and what is taught by the Lord Jesus is God's expectation and God's good, loving, wise provision for us. And we thank him for it and enter into it. So it's a different day. Um, People live together, they buy a house, and then they get married. And after that, they have kids. But they've generally been living together, and it kind of begs the question, well, what is that then? So I will talk to many couples who say, we have been faithful to each other, living together for the last seven years, and now we want to get married. And I'm going, okay, you know, revisit your definition of marriage. Several years ago, I had a family come in to see me. I think I've told you this, but it was a, a, a man and a woman and four or five kids. And I, I thought that they, it must be a, a blended family. That's what it looked like. So I was just trying, sort of fishing for the information I needed to have. So I, I said to them, so how long have you been together to, to the two adults? And the dad looked at the, um, the, the daughter, the oldest one. He said, how old are you? She said, 14. He said, yeah, 14 years. So I said, okay, I think this is good, but just let me make sure I'm straight on this. You have been together just with each other for 14 years. Yeah. These kids, they're all your kids? Yeah. And now you want to get married. Yeah. So I looked at the kids. I said, what do you guys think? They said, we we think it's a great idea. (laughs) It just sort of changes your, your paradigm and your, your models, right? But, but nonetheless, we are given by God a gracious gift of sexual intimacy in marriage. So where's the marriage line? Um, point is, God's gift is something that we commit ourselves to. The sanctity of property, where you're not allowed to steal. 
and you think, okay. But, but what? What are you not allowed to steal? You're not allowed to steal time. You're not allowed to steal um, office supplies. You're not allowed to steal... It's all, it's all kinds of things. And the beauty of the Decalogue is that it, it's not only the thing that it appears on the surface. It's everything that is deeper from that, that is rooted from that. And if it says, don't do this, it says, it means do do the opposite. Or if it says, do this, it means don't do the opposite, and so on. So Jesus did lots of that. It was called synecdoche by the reformers. And this whole matter about the sanctity of property. Um, you can't take what doesn't belong to you. Now, we also then have to talk about stewardship and say what does belong to us and why does it belong to us and should it belong to us. And if this belongs to us and it is most of the world's um, provisions and resources, can we just use them up and neglect those who don't have those resources? We have to be responsible, right? And, and God's wisdom, it just, it's so far-reaching. But what we want to say is we would like our children to commit themselves to these matters that are holy, that are sacred, in a way that will inform them when a challenge comes along or a temptation comes along or everybody else is saying comes along, and they say, we have purposed in our hearts thus and so. There's also the sanctity of truth. Don't be telling lies. Don't be telling lies to make a sale. Don't be telling lies to save your own skin. Um, don't be telling lies to influence people's opinions about someone else in a negative way. Be a person of truth. May it be said that whatever he says you can take to the bank. It is always true. He has never told me a lie. In Christian business circles, that must be the reputation. It must be that which you can count on. That when he says it, when she says it, it is true. Because I know that he or she is committed to a faith, and this is just a given for them. There's no lying. There's no wobbling. So you get pulled over by one of my son police officers and you, you can't tell him a lie. Don't do it. Don't say I was on my way to the hospital or on my way to a funeral. Um, I was pulled over long ago by a lovely Toronto police officer. He said, Reverend, where are you going in such a hurry? I said, I'm... Uh, I, I have a funeral. He said, well, you do have a suit on, so it looks, looks like you are going to a funeral. Um, at one of my son's graduations from the police academy, that cop was sitting in front of me years later. And he turned around and he said, so, Reverend, keeping the speed down? <laughs> yeah. I, I have nightmares about him. He just... <laughs> right. So it's the sanctity of, of truth. And to one another... When it gets hard, when you need to have a difficult conversation and someone says, come on, tell me the truth, will you? Say, are you sure you want to hear it? Then yes, here's the truth. I won't tell you anything other than the truth. I will tell you the truth. And I think the last, there's this sort of bundle of don't be wanting your neighbor's anything. right? Don't be wanting your neighbor's wife or cow or car Ah, see that one? Don't be wanting anything that's your neighbor's. Well, what is that? Because there's, there's, 
there's kind of a pathology in that that says, I'm not, I'm not going to be satisfied till I can have what she has. I'd like to have the kind of husband she has. I'd like to have the kind of job she has. I'd like to have the house she has. I'd like, and it says, no, don't, don't, because if you're coveting something, you are just, you're not that person of shalom. You're not that peace, that, that person who is peace-filled that the world needs to see. In a day where people are filled with trouble, they need to encounter people who are filled with peace. In a day when people are totally discontent, they need to come across somebody who has what they have and is happy with it, is content with it. Not longing for something else, not working so hard for something else that their health is at risk or their relationships are at risk. It's just, and and God says, if you're my people, if you're in a covenant relationship with me, these are the givens. So I think we want to be moms and grandmas who are proud of our kids and our grandkids. And I think the start of that is to pray for them and advise them. And, and, and here's something you need to know if you're a grandmother. You have a trump card. You can get away with things that no parent can and not even a grandfather can because the grandkids know they can always work the grandfathers to get what they want, and it's, it's not a true deal. Grandmothers get to say things, right? So that's a trump card. And you need to be the kind of grandma that when your granddaughter comes along, you steal yourself. Because when she says, I think what I'm going to tell you is really going to shock you, hold on tight and smile and say, no matter what you tell me, you know I love you. I will never stop loving you. Right? Do great exploits for their God because they know him. The most important thing in life is to know God. That has been discounted and dispensed with by our society. It's still true that to know God is the highest pursuit. So let us teach our children the stories that are the ways that they get to know God. If nobody else tells them those Bible stories, grandmas can. If nobody else says, let's say, grace and a meal, grandmas have the right to insist. Grandmas get to be the ones who say, I've been through this and through this and through this with all of you. Now your kids are mine, right? Because we want our children who know God to purpose in their hearts that they will not waver from the things they commit themselves to. And they will learn those things when they're kids. That's when it gets settled by the stories and by the examples And then later on, may they do great exploits because they know their God. May they purpose in their hearts not to be defiled, not to be mixed up, not not to be compromised. And may they be people who change their world, change their generation for Christ. Why don't we pray about that? Father, thanks for the story of Daniel, the story also of his friends, and the um, the backstory that we don't know we do, we don't know about his being raised we we don't know um, but father whatever happened when he was a, a child 
built faith into him that became rigid in the best possible way that it became his purpose. And because of that, he didn't make decisions in the moment because those decisions had been made in his heart. Help us, Father, to raise our children to be such. Amen.